Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Showing Up, the podcast that is here to make sure you don't give up on yourself and who you want to become in this lifetime. We're your hosts, Babs. And I'm Eve. And we're here to be your accountability and each other's in our pursuit of better habits. Every 30 days, we'll be setting ourselves a challenge. It could be anything from drawing every day to working out every day to staying off social media for the month. Each week, we'll be checking in with you, giving you the lowdown on how we've been getting on before we do a final debrief at the end of the 30 days. This week, we'll be letting you know how we've been doing with the challenge, so that's exciting. Later on, we'll be chatting about what we've been watching, listening to, and reading. And this week, I'll be chatting about one of the reasons why the world seems to revolve around the USA. So let's not waste any more time. I'm dying to know how we've been getting on with the challenge. So, Babs. How have you been getting on? And just to remind everyone, the challenge was to incorporate a power hour into your day. So that's one hour of time that's pre-planned, preferably in the morning, where you get all the things done that you say you never normally have time to do. So how have you been doing? Thanks for the reminder, Eve. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good reminder of the things that I've not been able to achieve <laughs> oh. <laughs> this week. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Let's say, like, it's not been going exactly as planned. Okay, so day one, I did not wake up at 5am. I put the alarm on for for 5, but then (laughs) I didn't even hear the alarm. So that was unsuccessful. And then I tried taking an hour whilst I was waking up, but I just couldn't get up. Um, And so I tried to apply the hour of doing nothing whilst I was in bed and that didn't work out because I was falling asleep. So what I'm going to do is, um, it's currently now 7pm and so I'm going to take an hour at some point tonight to to do the exercise. Um, And then tomorrow I am going to try to wake up at 5am again and do the hour of nothing. I believe I need some incentives to get me up, such as making coffee. So I think I need to have some coffee for me to to have the, the motivation to get up and to do nothing. <laughs> yes, as I said before. So day five of challenge one completed. I am finding really difficult to wake up in the morning just really early like I can't even get up at 8am I need to go to bed a bit earlier and then just wake up a bit earlier I'm finding that I still need more motivation other than food to to get up in the morning still trying to figure out which motivation that will be but enough other news I I like this power hour because it's been helping me to challenge the way I've been thinking about things I've realized I've just been in total reaction to what's been going around, going on around me. And uh, rather than thinking to myself, well, this is my situation and it's not showing up as I'd like it to be, but what can I do to make it be better for me? Rather than being frustrated, that I'm not getting what I want I need to think about like how can I either change my priorities in regards to the situation and face it in 
a way that makes me feel more relaxed. So if if I can't change the situation, then I need to either change my priority or I need to communicate how I'm feeling to that person. But first, I really need to reevaluate, like, is there actually something within me that can change so I can deal better with the situation? What am I really trying to get out of this moment? And can I do that without me lashing out or me reacting and rather get it in a different way? But yeah, that's kind of what's been on my mind for this power hour. So, as I said before, when we started the challenge, when we set up the challenge last week, that I wanted to wake up at 5 a.m. every day to do my power hour. And what I was going to do in my power hour was sit down and do absolutely nothing, but just allow my thoughts to flow through my mind and Mm -hmm. just be with myself, Mm -hmm. be totally present with myself, Mm -hmm. at one with myself. (laughs) just like do all the wishy-washy things beautiful (laughs) lovely wishy-washy things with myself so well let's just say (laughs) that I've been really struggling with getting up in the morning particularly at 5 a.m like I can't even get up at 8 a.m let alone 5 a.m like it's that part of the challenge is just not flowing well for me (laughs) and I think I need to be a bit more realistic with my goal of getting up at 5am. Mm-hmm. I still want to have that in mind as like, that's what, where I want to go to. That's what I want to reach. I want to reach waking up at 5am in the morning to do my power hour, but I need to refocus and remember that the focus is to have a power hour rather than waking up in the morning at 5am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's the point of the challenge. Yeah. And also that I need to be more realistic with myself and realize my limitations and that I can't just go from like waking up at 10 a.m., 11 a.m. to straight to 5 a.m., which is just too much for me. Yeah. It's just silly. So, yeah, I need to do a bit of a recalibration there mm-hmm. and start waking up at 8 a.m. I think that should be my goal for next week. Wake up at 8 a.m. and do my power hour. Great. Sounds like a, a better plan, you know, a more yeah. focused plan. But then in regards to the power hour in a in and of itself, um, it's been going pretty well, actually. There's one day that I missed, which was yesterday. So yeah, I didn't do it yesterday, but the days that I did it, it was really good to have that conversation with myself. I felt more positive in regards to myself and more centered indeed, calmer, and just been realizing a bunch of stuff about my life and about my behaviors. And it's really allowed me some time to kind of re-examined how I've been acting and how I've been dealing with the world. And I think that's a really positive thing. And so I'm liking the challenge so far. I am totally looking forward to more realizations <laughs> during <laughs> my power hours. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to doing this redirection of waking up at 8 a.m. and actually being able to do it. Great. Yeah, that's good. I think then that's been successful I would say that's a successful first week because as you said like the purpose of the challenge wasn't to wake up before everyone else the purpose of the challenge was to to do do what you wanted to do in an hour of the day which you've still managed to do you've not just sacked it off because you didn't wake up at the right time and think oh actually you know what I'm just not going to do this so well done exactly yeah Yeah. 
thank you I did it in the night time <laughs> <laughs> that's still exactly well that's still private time isn't it it's still time that you have for yourself that people yeah. aren't necessarily bothering exactly. you it's good I'm 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 doing well I'm patting myself on the back there for for the awesome. power hour at least awesome. yeah. how about you how have you been getting on with this oh it's been interesting it's been interesting uh we can have a listen uh to to how I've been going on day to day hello hello so checking in on day three of power hour um it's been interesting days one two and three have all been very different (laughs) day one uh was pretty unproductive I did set my alarm for six I was very tired so day two was a lot better day two I actually really enjoyed um got up at six did a stretch for about 35 minutes um and then organized my day did a bit of work got some stuff done um, so that was really productive. It then meant that when I slept through my alarm this morning, I felt really off kilter um, and really behind with what I needed to do. Um, waking up at seven, half seven, felt really late and felt like I'd really missed out on some days. So it's been good to have the contrast, I think. Um, and yeah, I definitely think that waking up at six was actually really helpful. I felt so productive that day. Um, I exercised as well, just got most of my stuff done by 10 o'clock and I can't say the same for today. So So, yes, I would say that I have struggled to get up at six, though I have mainly been awake at that time. I'd say the main struggle for me has actually been doing what I said I would do last week, which was yoga and pilates which i now when i say it to myself i laugh because i just think oh come on (laughs) were you really thinking that you could do that at six o'clock every morning like what 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 world were you in um but the world i was in was the world where i had loads of free time and actually i have realized this week that i don't actually have as much time as i thought i did and i get tired more easily than i think i did and i the the addition of exercising on top of exercising I think is just too much I think like I'm exhausted today and I just feel like I don't want to lose productivity and lose like fitness because I am doing something that I'm and the only reason I'm doing it is because I said I'd do it not because it's benefiting me if that makes sense so uh, yeah so like you I've had a rethink and actually having said all of that it's not been completely useless I had I had one or two <laughs> good days where I got up and I was incredibly productive at six o'clock. But I, I did one day, as you heard, where I had a nice, lovely stretch and I then went back and did some work and like planned out my day. And that felt fantastic. Next day, <laughs> I was really tired. So that didn't happen. But then the day after I did a very similar thing. And what I've actually found is that it's a lot more productive for me to plan out my day in that hour. And I've been doing work for the podcast in the morning or I've been doing reading for university in the morning. Like I definitely know that my brain is way more switched on if I'm up early in the morning and I'm not hearing other people awake because then I'm like, oh, I better go downstairs and have breakfast, see what everyone's been up, like everyone's doing today or whatever. I think I've still found it useful to get up and awake. And I think generally I found last week I was so much more productive just generally because like this morning 
I or yesterday morning I chose to just go back to sleep because I just felt in my body like I just needed some sleep so and I, I don't think that's a bad thing um but I think already in this week it set up really good habits for me of just thinking like actually I am making so much better use of my time not just in the hour but in the whole day by just giving myself that time to just wake up and think about what I'm doing and knowing that I've got the security of knowing that tomorrow I'm doing the same thing like the like the day one day when I overslept for the whole rest of the day I felt like I was catching up I just felt really like discombobulated and I was like oh god like I missed that time I now I've got to catch up and I've got all these things I need to tick off my list and I'm just not giving myself the time to do them which is rubbish because I still did them but I think it just shows how it how useful it is to have I think even just having the choice of waking up at that time and thinking what am I going to do with it is is helpful in itself point of time of like right it's go time let's just think a focused you know think it's just it's simple as that isn't it I am loving what you're saying so you're setting yourself a structure in the day of like I wake up at 6 a.m and then I decide what I want to do with my day and so every day you do this and obviously you're going to be more productive than if you just woke up at whatever time and then you're like oh god what do I need to do today I haven't even Mm -hmm. thought about what are my priorities for today and what do I want to get done for the day? And so you kind of just leave the waking up to chance almost mm-hmm. if, if you don't set yourself a goal of waking up at a certain time every day. But as you yeah. said, you can decide to go back to sleep because that would be the best thing for you for, mm-hmm. Your, mm-hmm. for the course of your day because you would feel more rested during the day so then you could do you want to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's really interesting because – it's kind of you're giving yourself a solid structure eventually do the things that you want to that you can then go on and do things that you want to do I don't know how to explain myself but I think you understand what I'm saying yeah I do it's like because when we talked about it last week we were saying that Adrienne was like structure it the day before so as soon as you wake up you're like this is what I'm doing and it's almost like for me at the moment whether this will change but just knowing that I've got that hour in the morning it's like that's enough for me rather than the day before thinking it's almost like you then like you have to find the time the day before to plan what you're going to be doing the day before which is it's like it's almost like you're getting caught up then because then you you also have to make time for yourself to to do that pre-planning which is something I just don't do like my nighttime routine is just (laughs) awful so I definitely don't have the time to do that although I could if I wanted to, um, but that's not this challenge. We're going to ignore that for now. Um, <laughs> no, but it, but it doesn't make sense to plan the thing beforehand because then you get to the morning and then you're exhausted and it's like, well, mm-hmm. do I listen to my body or do I listen to the, my body yesterday? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it doesn't make much sense, yeah. Yeah, it's like intuitive, isn't it? It's just thinking like even, you know, like some mornings, it's just been nice for me to just like listen to music and just sit and just have a bit of a doodle and have a bit of a type and just do the things that I need to do before I then start looking at my phone and doing all of that stuff like that for me is is like fulfilling enough like my 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 abs (laughs) they they also still need attention but I don't think that's the best use of this month because you know maybe it will maybe in the next couple of weeks once I'm back in like once I'm in the rhythm of this I'll feel like I want to spend my time doing that more. But for now, I think I'm not going to like beat myself up too much that I'm not doing what I said I'd do last week because I still it's feel not like what you want a successful week. week. Yeah. 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 Like who, who, who am I, who am I trying to please? So 
um yeah exactly yeah exactly. it's been a busy week like uni started back up I've got all my deadline dates and all that stuff and I think it's just been really useful to plan use that time to just plan or just to yeah do do whatever I feel like I need that morning so I wouldn't yeah, say absolutely. it's been wholly unsuccessful but it has been a struggle it has, it has been difficult to not get like anxious about it a little bit of like oh I haven't done that oops like the, almost like the guilt of it but then trying to remind yourself actually no remember you're doing this for you you're not doing this because you're going to get like a medal at the end of it this is just to try and get good habits and try and try new things so I think for both of us this week was bad ba- this was bound to happen this week like surely oh yeah like a readjustment like there's always a period of of just of adjustments and then you have to readjust because you never go into something knowing exactly how it's going to pan out and it's just a nice reminder that life isn't a fixed thing that we know exactly how it's going to go yeah well sounds fabulous like we've been doing mm, great yeah I think even just having time for self-reflection has been good like I mean obviously that was kind of the idea of yours anyway but I think it's even it's useful now just to even get in the habit of being aware of how you're spending your time which I don't think I was doing before it was easy at the end of the day to just say oh god this day has just completely run away with me I don't know you know what I've been doing I just you know there's so much to do I feel so overwhelmed but then actually when you're more aware of how you're spending your time because you've got like an hour at the beginning of the day that you're like oh got my hour you're then aware of the rest of the hours of your day um so yeah That's exciting. I'm really looking forward to see how the challenge goes and to realize more things about life. Mm. And it'd be really interesting as well to to try and understand what our realizations were last year. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on your realizations. What realizations did you have in 2020 about the world and about life in general? Mm. Big, uh, big topic there. Um, but yeah, I'd say probably like what I brought out of last year was, I don't know, like I think I'm always someone that's quite reluctant to like accept change. Like I'm someone that will come quite late to the party when it comes to realising that things need to change. Like I'm very much like, well, this is me now. So here I am for better or worse. I'll just stick with it until I literally get to a breaking point And then it's like, right, no, something's got to change. And it's a big palaver and I, it's, you know whatever I'm talking about like big things I'm not it's not like everything like if I haven't got like something in the fridge and I can't eat it I'm not like oh my god <laughs> um we're talking about like <laughs> big, big life things <laughs> but I think what was interesting about last year was that change was happening and it wasn't like it was enforced like there was no well we suggest that you do this or some of pe- some people are doing this some people aren't it was literally like you have to stop what you're doing and wait this out or whatever and for some yeah you have to comply you have to change yeah 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 that 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 has to happen there's no you know if you want or do it later about it it was like nope here we are that's it and I think what I realized through last year was that but then having this so some forced change kind of meant that we had to take stock of our lives like I mean what else was there to do really other than like bake banana bread and do some puzzles like 
there wasn't really that much that we you know our time wasn't being divided between obligations it was like it's up to you now to do what you want to do with that time and actually like I know it started emerging through the middle of last year towards the end of last year particularly about um the climate and the environment and like the positives that were coming out of people having like people not driving people not doing air travel etc that actually this whole idea of going back to normal isn't something that I think anyone should be working towards like I know obviously I'm speaking from quite like a privileged position where I haven't been really negatively impacted in the ways that other people have through the pandemic luckily um so I've not got that feeling of wanting to return to to what it was before I've not got this feeling in my head of like this has just been the worst thing ever that's happened luckily I've been able to just sort of sit back and look and think actually the habits that I'm making during this time are habits that I want to keep and we're so lucky to have been again I'm in a very privileged position but we I'm I feel very lucky that I've been given this break in my life where I've been able to try new things and explore new things and take time to think this is what I want do I want this don't I want this and before you would have had to take time off you would have had to like take a sabbatical or you would have had to take time off work to sort of have this time or wait until you've retired to find these things out about yourself like this break in the world and I think it's good like personally and just generally it's given people a lot of time to look at what's going on around them particularly politically but as as well like climate wise I think a lot of people that maybe felt that it was like at the bottom of a very long list of priorities have now been able to work through that list and think, oh, actually, yeah. Like I was thinking about it quite early on. I've got, you know, there's a walk that I do near my house and we've got a, a major A road that runs alongside these fields. And obviously during, particularly during lockdown one, there was no cars and it was complete silence. It was beautiful. There was no planes, there was nothing, or the odd, the odd plane, but there was just nothing. And it was lovely. It was so, so nice. And I remember talking to my dad about how a lot of climate activists are completely jumping on this and that they were getting negative press about it because it was like, oh, now's really not the time to be talking about this. We've got a global pandemic going on. Like, can you please stop for a minute going on about the environment? And I remember just saying to my dad, like, this is the perfect time, though. We're getting a window into what it should be like if the world stops and thinks we need to be more responsible about travel and about what we're consuming and what we're emitting, blah, 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 all of that stuff. Um, I'm going off on a tangent now, but I just think it's done a lot of good. And this whole idea of going back to normal isn't something that, even though, yeah, I, I would think that, you know, to begin with, it was like, oh, well, don't worry, things are going to go back to normal soon. I just don't think that that's even a thing anymore, particularly that it's been going on for like so long. I don't think anyone can say that anymore. But that's my tuppence on, uh, on 2020. <laughs> Yeah, the pandemic has really made you appreciate silence a lot more. And by the way, if you if you can hear little children in the background, it's because they're having fun in the pool near, nearby. <laughs> I I didn't know though that the that the environmentalists had gathered bad press because of the because they clearly saw the positive changes that happened because mm. of everybody stopping. It it just how can people not notice that this the negative also comes with the positive. Not everything is just purely negative. There's always a positive mm -hmm. 
with the negative. So even though it was a really tough time for a lot of people, and it still is as a consequence of not only COVID, but also of the restrictions caused by the pandemic, but, but also there was a bunch of positives because we saw a world that we hadn't seen before, a world that had a lot more peace in terms of noise. Uh, it was a lot more quiet, a lot, more, a lot slower as well. <laughs> yeah, for, for once we weren't rushing around trying to, to catch up with somebody else. Because before, if you, if you did do a sabbatical, then you'd be left behind and everybody else was still racing ahead and the world kept moving. But then now everybody had to take a sabbatical. So there was nowhere to rush to because everybody was stuck in the same position. There's positives with the negatives. So I think that's a yeah, absolutely good realization to have. And also that the environment does matter. Yeah, I think it was particularly, I don't know if you remember, there was that, I think it was, I think it was a fake story where they were, that video of dolphins in Venice. Do you remember that? Oh, yes, where I there do. There was that yeah. video that was circulating, yeah, around Facebook. And I think someone had like compiled together all the positives in a, in a genuinely uplifting way to make people think, you know, like everything's pretty crap right now, but, you know, look at the positives, look at all these like species that are now coming out of hiding because there's more, I mean, like we had it, we had tons of random animals in our garden that would just never make, would never think to venture this far because we've got a main road near us, but main road was quiet. So we had pheasants and hedgehogs and all of this wildlife that we never would have seen before, which was lovely. But at the time, I think it was particularly kind of spurred on by like the tabloid media. I'm thinking of Daily Mail, you know, just like this kind of negative. Yeah. We know the Daily Mail, um, but just this idea of like, you know, people are losing their jobs, people are dying, people are having a really awful time. Like, can you please just stop going on about the environment? There's more important things. So, you know, I don't think it was like a major, major thing, but I just remember looking like through Facebook and just seeing the comments. And it, it was just like, you know, firstly, it was in no one's intention to say, like, stop complaining about what's going on and look at this instead. It wasn't at all, but it was a genuine yeah. like, you know. Why, why why wouldn't you want to like you said like why wouldn't you want to say well actually there's a there's a positive that's coming out of this awfulness that we're all mm -hmm. experiencing uh it's just because the media you know <laughs> the media only functions if it's selling negative stuff if people are worried concerned not happy with their lives so i've also been realizing in this past year that i'm constantly looking for somebody to tell me what to do next and through the media last year, as the pandemic was a new thing, obviously we were looking at our at the television screen, at our news to kind of tell us what we should do, what we should be looking forward to. And, and I've just realized how dependent I am at having somebody tell me what to do. And I believe that this this and I believe that society really instills that into us, that there's somebody else out there that is more of an authority about your life and about life in general. So you have to rely on other people to tell you what to do. And I know that I was taught this not only through my parents, because they always told me that they were the authority. Therefore, they always knew more about what I wanted, needed and felt than I did, which I wouldn't say that's so good, but... I also learned that through <laughs> existing in society and through going to, through school, because most schools are set up this way. 
so that the pupil is not in charge of their own education and the path that they want to be educated in, not so much, but school constantly sends the message that teachers know what pupils need in order to survive in the world and constantly send the message that you need to study these certain things in order for you to be employed rather than to be an employer and set your own business and start your own thing. Why don't schools teach this? Uh, how to be independent rather mm. They teach you how to be dependent on the system. Even the way society is constructed with like major cities and there's not much room for a high degree of self-sufficiency. For example, there's not much room for gardens in which to cultivate food and to make you create your own food. And there's not much room for renewable energies to be in cities. Although there are, there is an incentive to do this, right? It's an incentive for us to be codependent on other people. So cities are an incentive for us to be codependent on other people. We can't produce our own food, so we have to depend on other people to supply food for us. We can't supply our own power, so we rely on the government or private industries to provide us with power. And in return, we have to work for people to get the cash to then get the stuff. So society essentially has a hold on us. And in a way, they don't want you to be independent or more independent. I think we're, all, we're always going to be interdependent, but we're so codependent co on other people, on the government, on society in general. And who has the power? Not us. Whoever controls people, whoever controls how much food we have, our value and where the food is coming from has the power. And so I think this generates a cycle of constantly looking outside ourselves for validation, for somebody to be taking care of us and for somebody for us to eventually blame. We always blame the government for not doing blah, 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 blah. But like, why can't we do that for ourselves as well? Why can't we take control of our own lives and stop, you know, being more independent. <laughs> and so I've just been wondering all these things and who are we really without this external validation that we grew up seeking, this external validation that we are enough to be in society, but it comes at a cost of our own independence because we're not independent anymore. I don't know, it just kind of made me wonder like, what's the point of being so codependent on the government and we know the government doesn't really it's not really that there that much for the people so it's just we're we're delivering our power to somebody else and we're putting it in the government's hands and i think we need as a society to become more independent um that's what i've been realizing this year and it's really made me think a lot about how i live my own life and the ways that i could improve my own life and my way of living and how I want to live in the future as well. Mic drop. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping truth bombs. Damn. Yeah. No, that's uh <laughs> no, genuinely really, really interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, you're so right. You're so right. I think such a divide has been created, particularly in England, between what the government are telling people to do, and particularly now, in contrast to last year this whole thing of you know the government are obviously elected by the people and so we're kind of told that this is the democracy that we live in you know you're given mm -hmm. the right to vote and the majority will get the person in 
or whatever, how it works, even though obviously that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But so we're kind of under the impression of these people are the people that are qualified to tell us what to do. Obviously, we know now that is not the case. That is totally not the case. Like, (laughs) yeah, they're, they're doing jobs like the rest of us. They are qualified to do a job. And that job happens to be important because they run the, the inner workings of the country. But then I suppose it's all kind of gone to the radar. I'd say I was like a semi, semi-politically engaged person before this. Coming out of this, I'm definitely way more engaged. Like yeah. what we were talking about before when I was sort of saying about, yeah, taking, taking time to actually look at what's going on around us. It's pretty clear that... that, that things are not okay and the things haven't been right i mean like obviously america is the big example but even here these these small i say small things they're massive things but these you know smaller things that have been taking place these smaller changes that have been happening when when enough people have the time on the resource to actually look at what's actually going on people are engaged i mean like whenever i think obviously this is such a like divisive topic so we're not going to talk about it too much but all the stuff around brexit when that happened Mm -hmm. There was this whole idea of, and, and I think it's still the case, this kind of London-centric view of the UK in particular, where, you know, what goes on in London is separate to the rest of the world mm-hmm. and the rest of the UK in particular. So this sort of naivety that the government had that just because in London people were very pro-Remain, they assumed that the rest of the country was also going to follow suits yeah. because everyone in London thought that that was the case because that's where everything takes place. But that was not the case. And then all the obviously then these arguments started between like oh individuals like why did you choose this why did you choose that when actually we think well it kind of isn't the responsibility of us but then actually you think well what's going to change the media's never going to change yeah they like you said they've got their story they they know what they want to push because they they're a business and they want to sell so it's definitely up to individuals to choose to be engaged yeah and, and what they're engaged know, everything that you've been saying yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like everything you've said is is so true that in one way it was it was a good thing that we had somewhere to turn to to tell us what was right to do during something like this. Yeah. But actually that's not how we should be living our lives. Like the BBC has an angle. Everyone knows that. Everybody has an angle. That, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm all for following rules and everything and I definitely think that when it comes to a pandemic or it comes to like a, a global crisis like this you do have to turn to the government and you do have to comply. But I don't think that that should be something that then we're encouraged to do for the rest of our lives. And unless you said, yeah. like it, when, when you look at it the way that you've said, we've been, it's been ingrained in us to do it's that. It's so ingrained. Like what, what you were saying about school, it's, yeah, it's, it's so true. You never, the, these sort of skills that you just have to pick up, you know, the whole thing of when you're coming out of university and it's like, well, you have to have experience that you couldn't have had because you've been in education, but you can't get a job unless you've had that education. And all I the, know, all right? You get it's like, well, where, well, it's so confusing. Something's failing here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they tell you you yeah. need a degree in order to get a job, but then you finish the degree, and then you need experience in order to get a job. Then you're like, what? Like, what? Yeah. Job? yeah. I've been sold a lot. Like, it's a running joke between. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's it's this running joke between people and I guess it's been the same for years but you just think like it it shouldn't really be a joke like that's, yeah. that's genuinely the case like yeah but I know I know it would be interesting to see what's happening with this whole like re whatever the word is revamp of education that the conservatives have in mind 
that they're going to be relooking at employability of people. Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. I'm totally yeah not paying attention to the news in the UK right now. It's all quite samey, actually. But but no, they were basically saying that they're going to be starting to look at making sure that, well, basically putting more funding in making sure that people have jobs. So rather than putting funding into universities that just have a degree in a subject, focusing more on like vocational things that is where there's a job actually physically at the end of it oh, that, that's brilliant. so that people yeah. aren't just coming out of university but I mean having said all of this I don't know when our next election is but I can't imagine it's that far off and I can't imagine people really going to want Boris Johnson any longer oh, so, again it's all this not. kind of thing of oh here's, here's the momentum yeah but anyway politics politics but it is it is very interesting just to go off on a tangent a little bit about this education thing mm. um so the University of Leicester were in the press over the last couple of days because they have started to, well, they're basically they're revamping their English degree. So, and they've basically said that they want to be more diverse. So like Leicester is an incredibly diverse city. I think it's the, if not one of the most diverse cities in the UK mm-hmm. in terms of population, population makeup and whatever. And the vice chancellor has basically said, we don't want to be teaching people just the classics anymore when they aren't reflective of what people want anymore they're not reflective of the society that we live in anymore so they are so they're not focusing so much on like Chaucer and things like I think the story was saying about yeah Chaucer and Beowulf and all of these medieval texts they're basically saying you know nowadays they don't particularly apply anymore they're historical but they're not exactly you know they're not necessary to reflect what people want to learn and they've been slated by the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail called them the University of Woke, <laughs> like in a mocking kind of way. What? Yeah. And they were saying, like, no wonder Leicester University's rank is falling because, um, because they're focusing more on being, like, relevant than actually supplying people with a good education. What? Which Isn't I think is just relevancy crazy. the same thing as so like, a good education? Surely being coped with yeah. the times is the best education because you're not living back in like the 1500s anymore. Like, I don't know when Beowulf is, like there was, was made for a crate. No, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but I, like, I, I understand what people are saying because there's going to be, I think there's going to be job losses because some of these tutors that are specialists in these, t- these texts won't be necessary anymore. Mm. But it's just silly because you just think, you know, one out of... So Gavin Williamson, who's the MP for, edu- like, the Secretary of State for Education, he said it's it's basically... He said, he said something like, oh, it's completely ludicrous that they're doing this. And it's, a, you know, it's such a massive mistake. But it was just interesting because every pretty much every university across the UK teaches English literature or English in some form. If one university wants to engage more with their population of students, like... I don't really think there's anything wrong with that, but, it, no. but it's just going back to this idea that, that the Daily Mail, like I was going through the comment section and they were just blatant racism, absolute blatant racism. I mean, it is the Daily Mail. And, what do and you, you just expect? think this is what they're encouraging? <laughs> no, I know, but you just think that, that what, where's their responsibility to, to providing, you know, any sense of like ethical journalism like yeah. they, 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 were, they knew that they would write this story and that people would encourage this they had a picture of the vice chancellor who is Sri Lankan and then they had Chaucer and it said banned and it had Beowulf and it had banned oh, gosh. so then you get all the all of the the the, the sort of 
go back to where you came from comment yeah coming through you know and it, it was just so silly it was so so silly but it's just uh, they should go back to where they came from all those people commenting yeah back to the 1500s <laughs> yeah it, it was just so bizarre because i would look at it and and just think well you know actually i'm kind of proud yeah. that doing that like i think that's really interesting that they're like they so apparently they got bad press last year because they had international women's week mm-hmm. but they wrote they spelt women without the e with the okay S which is, I guess, more inclusive to the trans community. And people, again, slated them for it. And you just think, what is so wrong with that if they're just choosing to engage with the trends of the time, which are actually led by the people that are actually going to be going to their university? Like, there is nothing wrong with that. If if their rank is slipping, they're clearly thinking, let's do something different then, because clearly we can't compete with all of the other people, so let's try and make ourselves a bit more interesting. I'm going off on a massive tangent. Yeah, no, no, yeah, but, but, but. It just... yeah, I think journalism has to be a bit more, become a bit more ethical and really share both sides of, of, a, of the coin, both points of view, one pro and one against whatever is being talked about. And I also see a lot of um, journalism websites such as the BBC or New York Times that don't allow co- a comment section anymore. And I just wish that they would allow it. Mm-hmm. Why don't you allow a comment section? Like, what is mm-hmm. what is the problem in yeah. wanting to hear more points of view, different points of view? I don't know why they, they chose to remove the comment section. I'm sure there were some inflammatory comments there that needed to be censored. But you still want to hear different opinions. Uh, they shouldn't be censoring yeah, it. exactly. And and I think as well, surely you, surely you want to understand how it's being read. Yeah who your readership yes. is because you think oh that went down really badly actually we don't really want to be encouraging that kind of thinking so you would do it next time like I'd look at the Daily Mail and I think absolutely I'm never writing something say say they didn't choose to write it with that tone that was implying that someone you know it wasn't necessary to have a picture of the vice chancellor there yeah it just was not necessary but they knew I, I'm assuming they knew what that would be encouraging yeah. they know but I say they didn't know that Surely the comment section would think would make you think, oh, actually, I probably need to be careful of my tone because this is reading and it's actually falling on the side of people who are racist. Yes, basically, because that's kind of what that's what it is. <laughs> it's just racism. It's just bizarre. Just because you're replacing a word with a letter, a word with a number, so it doesn't or or putting, you know, someone put the word foreigner. Mm but they put some spaces between it and missed out the occasional letter so it didn't read like that. I guess it wouldn't trigger off their, like, buzzword censorship uh... thing. But it doesn't mean it's not readable and it's still there. <laughs> a bit of, like, the old, like, RuneScape swear word trick where you put, like, a whatever, three instead of an E or whatever <laughs> you used to do. But Anyway, that's my, that's my rant over. The... No, that was a great rant. rant. It's interesting. Yeah. It's just... And so now we're moving on to what we've been watching slash reading slash listening. So I'm so looking forward to to hearing what Eve has to say about what she's been watching this week. So Eve, what have you been seeing with your beautiful blue eyes? (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Um, (laughs) I've I've decided to talk to you about a rather diverse mix of things I've been watching. So the first one which is just the most delightful thing ever, is the Great Pottery Throwdown. Woo! Babs has no idea what this Woo-hoo! is. 
Um, oh, really? No idea. <laughs> yeah, you would love it. You would love it. So basically, the first season was filmed in 2015, and we're now on the new season, uh, season whatever. I guess I could do the math. Six, um, assuming that they had one every year. Anyway, I digress. So um, basically, it's 12 of Britain's best home potters who compete to be crowned best at the wheel. Can you think of anything that sounds more <laughs> exciting than that? So it's on, it's on Channel 4. It's on Sunday nights, 7.45, 8pm, if anyone's interested. It's filmed in Stoke-on-Trent, which is the northwest Midlands, so not too far away from me. So yeah, basically 12 am- amateur potters. So we're talking about pottery like plates and vases and anything made out oh, of clay. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they compete every week. So they undertake a couple of tasks. If you've seen the Bake Off uh, or the Sewing Bee, it's the same concept of a lovely bunch of people who just love what they do competing and one of them has to go each week and one of them gets told they're the best. So I find it so much more impressive to watch than Bake Off, probably because these are things that they will be made and they're fired and they're physically going to remain for the entirety of the rest of their lives, the world's existence, because rather than a cake, which is just eaten at the end, which I guess is yeah. also very impressive. But there's just something different about watching someone construct something from a ball of clay into something that's just incredible on a wheel or handcrafted or what, however they do it. Um, but yeah, so last week they had to build replica houses. So those were like, they had to be like 40 centimetres high. That was like the stipulation. And it's just incredible that proper artists, some of these people, it's just amazing. I can't, it's hard to explain without you know talking about pictures so if you want to have a google see what kind of thing they do um but then there's like this quick fire challenge um pun entirely intended where they have to make something really really quickly or blindfolded or whatever and last week they had to make bricks so in the same way that people used to make bricks before industry which was it's so much fun it's just really really fun so uh they've got a new host this season i'm a big fan of melanie sykes who used to do uh, the previous seasons but I have a feeling because they're all having to stay in a bubble they're all like bubble together I think she's got kids so whether she's just thought I'm gonna leave it this year I don't really want to have to leave my family for 12 weeks or whatever so they've got a new host Siobhan McSweeney and I think she was in Derry Girls I've not seen Derry Girls but she's very funny uh, and then the same judges are there so Keith this lovely man called Keith Babs you'd love him he is just <laughs> the nicest guy he literally he actually cries when he sees something oh that he God. loves so much, he like genuinely starts crying. And it's it's by now, like six seasons in, it's it's just like a running joke. But he genuinely gets really choked up oh. when he sees something that he can tell someone is like invested all of their emotion into. So it's lovely. It's just really, really nice, proper wholesome viewing. So if anyone fancies binging something that's just gonna distract you from the chaos around you, great pottery throwdown. Is definitely where you should go. It's amazing. And every year when it starts, I'm like, oh, I should definitely take up pottery. I'm so interested. And six years later, have I done it? No. Um, so <laughs> maybe this will be the year. Maybe we can challenge ourselves. Who knows? Um, but yeah, Maybe we so... can because I want to do it as well. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Okay, great. I'm writing it down. <laughs> That's what we're doing. You hear people, you're list. doing pottery with us. <laughs> Get ready. Um, so that's what I've been watching weekly. And then I did want to quickly just talk about a couple of films that I've watched. So I watched a documentary that I have been meaning to watch for many, many years um, called Grizzly Man. So it's directed by Werner Herzog. Have you seen it? Are you familiar with it at all? 
I think I've heard of it. I've heard the name. I'm not entirely sure what it's about. Yeah, so basically, IMDb, I'll give you the synopsis. So it chronicles the life and death of grizzly bear enthusiast Timothy Treadwell. So the film includes Treadwell's own footage of his interaction with grizzly bears before 2003. And the interviews with people who knew him, who were involved with Treadwell, as well as people dealing with the wild bears. So it's really, really powerful documentary. Um, really, really well made. So, as I said, I've been meaning to watch it for years. I had it recommended to me quite a few times. It won a number of awards when it was released. It premiered at Sundance. So it did quite well. I won a Werner, Werner, Werner Herzog, because obviously a really well-known director. So he kind of carries um, that gravitas with him. But yeah, Timothy Treadwell, who was the grizzly man. So he spent about 35,000 hours living with oh, you're grizzly. Oh, you're going to He died what? now. He died of natural causes yes. um, because he's just so old. <laughs> but no, so... Yes, 35,000 years. So he spent 35,000 hours over spanning over 13 years, basically cohabitating um, with grizzly and brown bears in the Katmai National Park and Reserve in, uh, in Antarctica, <laughs> in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has this amazing relationship with these bears. I don't want to give too much away because it's interesting the way that Werner Herzog sort of reveals certain information about Treadwell, but he is incredibly passionate about preserving bears you know this whole idea of them being misunderstood i guess like how sharks are these days where people are like stop villainizing these animals because (laughs) they're just animals like that's what they do yeah yeah Yeah. um but he has this interesting relationship with them and with the park rangers who whose actual jobs it is to preserve and like preserve these these habitats for them um but yeah i would really really recommend it it's such a yeah, so it's generally really moving to watch someone who was so passionate about trying to understand animals. I mean, he, he used to go to schools for free to teach kids about them and show them the way that they lived. And I mean, it's sort of the relationship that he has kind of blurs on being quite dangerous for the animals. You see some of the park rangers talking about the fact that wild animals shouldn't be used to humans because generally speaking, humans want to kill them. You know, if, yeah. if a bear gets used to being able to interact with a person they're going to start, you know, potentially wandering into towns and thinking that everything's great because they've been living with someone who has no issue with them. (laughs) So Um, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that line that is, that is danced by Timothy Treadwell um, and by the film as well. It's, it's really non-judgmental. It's very much just like, these are the facts. This is who he is. This is what his friends think. This is what people who used to professionally work with him think. Um, and it's yeah it's really nice see some lovely scenery as well obviously it's a tragic story obviously got to address that but well worth watching it's on amazon prime video if you've got amazon prime so it is free to you to watch um so yeah i would i would recommend that and then lastly for what i've been watching i thought i'd try to be a bit more current and uh the film on netflix i think it might be a netflix original um, the Trial of the Chicago 7. So that came out uh, October last year and it's directed by Aaron Sorkin. So I didn't know anything about this story actually until I watched the film. Um, but it's the true story of seven people who were put on trial uh, sort of around the around charges of the uprising in the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. 
don't know if you're familiar with that at all. I am familiar with Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> I've seen the trailer <laughs> of the Battle of the Chicago 7 on Netflix, but yeah. I have not watched it. No, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. Well, I won't give I won't give too much away. Um, obviously, it's it's historical, so I guess you could just Google it, but um, not mm-hmm. to give too much away. Um, but I'll give you a bit of a taste of what it's like. So it's got a really good cast. So it's Eddie Redmayne, there's Sasha Baron Cohen. So he is always fantastic, but he plays uh, this man Abby Hoffman, who is probably one of the most famous people that was part of the Chicago Seven. So he wrote this book, Steal This Book, which I know is like a pinnacle piece of literature for like the counterculture movement. Um, there's also Jeremy Strong. So anyone that's seen Succession knows Jeremy Strong. He's fantastic. Uh, and then Mark Rylance. So, yeah, there's just tons of big names um, who are all very good. Lots of men. Um, but it's all very good. Um, so, as I said, I've not really heard of it before, um, but it's definitely a relevant story. I can see why they decided to to share it now. Um, so, yeah, without giving too much away, it was basically about uh, a number of anti-war organisations, anti-Vietnam War organisations uh, that descended in, on Chicago in 1968 to demonstrate against the, uh, sorry, demonstrate outside of the Democratic National Convention because, you know, good way to get attention. They were largely nonviolent, pretty much all nonviolent from what I gather, groups, um, but violence did ensue. And as you'll see throughout the film, Arguably, it was caused by the police, which is something that's incredibly relevant to events of recent months. Um, yes. So the groups, the, he- the leaders of these groups were charged by the state for having conspired across state lines to cause violence, though none of the men knew each other. They never had any real meaningful interaction prior to the court case when they all suddenly started to get to know each other because they're all on trial together. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really, really, really relevant, really, really interesting. So the, the film refers to the Chicago 7, but there was actually an eighth man called Bobby Seale um, who was actually started to be tried at the same trial, but he actually wasn't even in Chicago that day. Um, so he was a oh. co-founder of the Black Panthers. Yeah, yeah. So he was had a co-founder of the Black Panthers. And, yeah, his story is like... It's the most powerful story in the film, and I don't want to give too much away. I'm sure a lot of people, if they know Bobby Seale, they'll know the, the, the court case. But it's just, it speaks so, so much to the way that black people in particular are treated by the justice system. It's shocking, like so, so shocking, like I could not believe it. Um, yeah. And that those kind of things happened in the 60s and they're still happening now. It's just... I know it's fine, but I feel like there's a theme. There's a theme to this podcast, which is needing to change. Things need to change. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think it's great that that this is something that Netflix have have created and that's readily available in a in a lovely entertainment package for us all to easily digest <laughs> <laughs> for our entertainment. Um, so yeah, I would I really recommend it. You've seen the trailer, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's good if you fancy watching like a courtroom trial film like i think it was made by the people that made a few good men so they're really good at creating tension and building between like the judge and the lawyers and it's just yeah really really good i'll stop going on about okay. it because no i need uh, to give it a watch i don't um, want to give anything away i'm just uh i don't particularly like the acting of eddie redmayne but no, i'll give it a watch good. oh good thank god okay <laughs> Yeah, he's he's bearable. He's bearable. He's not he's not being who he normally is. It, I mean, is and also, I don't want to give too yeah. much about his character, but by the end of the film, you're like, good. 
won't say anything, but yeah. Okay, just... no, I can see, I can see. I mean, he's probably, I mean, he's white, so therefore I know which side of the of the justice system he's going to be on. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so that's what I've been watching. I've tried to be as diverse as I can this last week. What about you? What have you been watching with your beautiful brown eyes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've not been watching any politically charged things, not in the slightest. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have been mm -hmm. watching... <laughs> I've been watching... watching Whitney Port watching The Hills again <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Tell well, me about that. Yeah, in case you don't know and have been born, in case you were born in the last like 10, 10 years, uh, The Hills was a reality show back in 2006 that, was, that started off as a spin-off of Laguna Beach. And it focused on the personal and professional lives of several young women based in LA. The show begins focusing on the life of Lauren Conrad as she pursues a career in the fashion industry and uh, interns on Teen Vogue. And it's super exciting. I remember when I used to watch this as a 13 year old or really as a 12 year old. Uh, <laughs> being so excited thinking oh my gosh this is how my life is going to be like daydreaming that I was going to live in LA and I was like stuck in Portugal still <laughs> but I'm going to be in LA I'm going to I'm going to be so independent by the time I'm like 18 and I'm going to go to university and just meet all these different people and be super fashionable and just be really cool and and I used to love the show I think a lot of teenage girls used to watch it and just be really inspired to get going with their adult lives yeah yeah but so i was watching whitney port which uh is introduced in the hills as a co-worker of lauren and an intern a fellow intern on team vogue and she eventually got her own spin-off called uh the city which is set in new york because she she went off and started working in the fashion industry in New York. And now 14 years later, she begins revisiting the show. Uh, she revisited the city first, and then she started re revisiting the hills, which was first, but she did the city because she was in it the most. Yeah. Um, but she also married the producer that worked with her on the city. Oh, so they're now I know, scandalous. <laughs> so they wanted to be together whilst she was filming the city, but he didn't appear on camera uh mm -hmm. but they both provide commentary on the behind the scenes of the show which is really exciting which is all my 13 year old <laughs> wanted to know uh, my 13 year old self wanted to know about the show and also give their opinion on on what happens because a lot of the stuff they also don't know because they weren't there um for example this producer that she's married to tim or timmy he wasn't working on the hills so he doesn't know what happened so it's only Whitney that knows what what happened but then she wasn't involved in everything so it's really interesting so they have their theories and I can have my theories and it, yeah I was enjoying revisiting that part of myself like my teenage years and Aww. it's lovely I like it and it's fun yeah it's funny and I have also <laughs> been watching some ice skating lately well, ice dancing, okay, okay. ice dancing, which is different from, I guess, ice skating competitions are different. 
And I've been watching in particular an ice dancing Canadian team. The team is composed of Tessa Virtue and Scott Moir. Or Moir. Moir. <laughs> Moir. Yeah. He's got a little bit of French in there. <laughs> so these are Olympian skaters. They were born in 87 and 89 and were paired up in 97. They were paired up in 97. So they were seven and nine. So Scott was seven. Oh, Scott was nine and she was seven. And then wow. they skated for 22 years together. That's insane. Oh. That's insane. And it's so cute because I think they're together yeah. as well. And so romantically, yeah, romantically. <gasps> oh, it's a dream. Know. It's a fairy tale. <laughs> and, and they're so they're so different from all of the other ice dancers as well, because not only are they great ice skaters, they're actually amazing dancers. As I was saying, both Tessa and Scott have amazing, amazingly and incredibly fluid bodies, made, capable of moving to various different styles of music and dance. Mm -hmm. And they, you can see that they're trained in different styles of dance as well. And they have amazing chemistry on ice. They're both lovely to watch. They're both beautiful. They're gorgeous. They look like a prince and a princess. And <laughs> they were the pride of Canada because they won a gold medal at the Vancouver Home Games in 2010. And then they won silver in Sochi in 2014. And then another gold medal at the Pyeongchang Olympics in 2018. And boy, did they deserve it because they're honestly so fantastic. They're an absolute delight on ice and they make you want to glide on ice with somebody to just float around dancing, gliding and mm. enjoying life on the ice. But then in 2019, after 20 years of skating together, they said goodbye to the ice and they've oh. now retired Ugh. but they they left it with a, a heart for us i know they left it awesome. with a heartfelt and emotional message saying that they were incredibly incredibly grateful for all the support they got from their fans and how incredibly lucky they were to share all of this together and with the people that supported them they just make me want to find a man to bust a move on the ice and <laughs> I'm just such a sucker for being on the ice. I love ice skating, ice dancing, anything that involves Aww. ice, except being cold. But <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> it's so inspiring. And that's what I've been watching this week. Sounds lovely. It sounds like you've properly delved into watching things that are like the parts of you that like like yeah like the nostalgia aspects of it and then the, and then just like completely being like i'm just gonna completely indulge myself in all of this ice skating stuff because i can't do it right now but yeah it's still and, a big and i love it you, even yeah. though you can't do it yeah yeah it's, it's such a passion of mine yeah ice skating mm. scares me so much really oh yes it does yeah. doesn't it Oh, mm. I, well I did it last year and actually it wasn't that bad I kind of got more used to it I think it's a confidence thing but before that mm -hmm. I was just absolutely terrible 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 but <laughs> I can appreciate it I mean I remember I think I watched them at the Olympics whichever one I remember watching the Vancouver Games but I don't know if I obviously I don't specifically remember them but I do remember watching it and just being incredibly impressed by the Canadian team so, yeah they're fabulous yeah it's just so so impressive the speed oh man it's just like the bodily control did you i'm assuming you watch ice princess 
that film Ice Princess. Oh yes, 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 with, yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> with Hayden Panettiere, whatever it is. But um, yeah, I, used to I love was that obsessed film, yeah. with that. The Zamboni guy. God, and oh, she was yeah. Yeah, and she was studying like the physics behind the spin, wasn't she? And <laughs> doing all those simulations. <laughs> yeah. If I tuck my arms in, then there's less drag. Oh yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> correct. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's so funny. Oh man. Yeah. God, I miss, I miss I miss watching these silly Disney films and just um just being on ice as well. I just miss it a lot. Mm. Yeah. You'll get back to it. Yeah, yeah. When this darn pandemic's over and through. You can... Yeah, I can float about on the ice. Float about. Find a man. Float about. <sighs> float about without a man. But oh, no. maybe find a man while you're floating about. It would be lovely to, to find a man whilst I'm floating about the ice. <laughs> <laughs> but what, are, what have you been reading this week? Have you been reading anything? So, unlike last week, I have. <laughs> Although it's not technically... A book. Well, it is a book. It's a book. It is a book. But it's a recipe book. Um, so I got this for Christmas. So it's called More Plants, Less Waste, Plant-Based Recipes and Zero Waste Life Hacks with Purpose. I thought you meant so waste. It's, isn't not, a, a waste it's not a line. short title. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Zero waste, as in what you throw away, not what holds up your body. Um, so it's written by Max Lamana. Lamana? I think it's Lamana. I'm going to say Lamana because it sounds nicer in my mouth. Um but yeah so I first discovered him through Instagram so I was getting him recommended to me um for like various vegan plant-based recipes um and he did this amazing recipe for chickpea tuna which looks divine I'm yet to try it but anyway um yeah I've been looking at that this week I got it for Christmas haven't had a chance to actually look through it until this week um so I've not actually made anything yet but I'll definitely be reporting back uh, on how it goes but yeah the book has just got loads of lovely plant-based recipes so he really encourages the use of all of the produce so the skin the seeds everything so he's all about using things to like yeah using all of it reducing waste um, and there's just lots of like sustainability tips you know like instructions to make coffee ground exfoliators and your own toothpaste and your own deodorant just stuff like that that I think is going to be really interesting to try so yeah I'll be reporting back Please do. on how the cooking goes. Yeah, and let me know. Um, but yeah, if, it's. Uh, yeah, let me know if you stumble upon any nice, yummy recipes that I can. Oh. Get 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 a. Get some chop down. On. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I will. I'm, I'll fold some corners. I will let you know. I'll send you some pictures. Yay! But yeah, Thanks. what about you? I have been reading this book called Lynchpin by Seth Godin. This book talks about a choice that people have in regards to their career, which ultimately is a thing that can be transferred into all areas of your life. So this book says that basically in, two, in school, you're taught to be a compliant worker in a local factory. And here the author says that the factory is essentially any institution that you work for. And it makes sense. A factory is something that produces something. So... Essentially, we all work for factories in a way. So what factory owners want is someone who is compliant, preferably low-paid, <laughs> replaceable cogs to run their efficient machines, right? And factories create productivity, and productivity produces profits. And the factories, in return, used to promise job security, 
good wages, benefits, etc. But I do have to highlight the word used because used to, to do it. Obviously, we all know by now that job security <laughs> is non-existent and it's a total fantasy that we were sold on that it just isn't mm -hmm. a thing, particularly since the pandemic and obviously recessions have happened that have showed us that security isn't a thing. So Seth makes the argument that we need to be indispensable human beings, original thinkers, provocateurs, people who can lead, passionate change makers who are willing to be shunned to make a point. That every organization needs a linchpin, the person who can bring it together and make a difference. And that uh, that choice comes from you deciding if you're going to buy into the fear that the school system creates, uh, that you can only make money and have a job by being a cog in the system, or if you're going to chart your own path and create the value that you think. So it's a fantastic book and it, it has like opened my eyes to a lot of things. I had already been opening my eyes to this kind of thinking before as I was saying back in 2020, as my realizations, um, you deserve and also that you think you can deliver. But then reading this book was sort of a solidification of the same belief that um, we're just made to be dependent on like this factory that is a total mm. fictitious thing that was created and that really we're really replaceable. And unless we stand out and become indispensable, to a factory or if we want to be an employee then we really do have to to stand out and be different for people to to not fire us <laughs> and for us to continue having yeah. a job because just yeah. having um just having a degree is not enough anymore just having a job is not enough anymore you can be replaced at any time so you gotta be a linchpin you gotta do the best you can just get, get creative and show up by being creative. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting book. It, and yeah. it does open your eyes to a lot of things that you grew up thinking mm -hmm. with the way the cookie crumbled again, or the way the things went, mm -hmm. how the world worked. And actually, it's just a big lie in a way. Yeah. It's not a big lie. Like, that, compliance, it's, it's mass compliance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not that it's a big lie, but it's just... It, it, the system can be different. It can work in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And I think thinking about like the whole factory thing, when you think back to something like the Industrial Revolution, where actually this basically the sole purpose of industry of a country was to produce and export, that kind of was what you needed. You needed to be someone to get a job who could do a skill. But things have changed since the Victorian times. Yeah. You know, people have. You know, obviously people had their own independent businesses then as well, but. The, there is the you know the world is isn't separate countries anymore really it's things are fluid and people there are jobs springing up new industries all the time and obviously things are changing but this model hasn't changed yeah so yeah. the idea that we have to fit into that kind of thing hasn't adapted to the actual reality of people who can make their own jobs and make their own industry i mean think of like youtube yeah People used to laugh at people that, that that made YouTube videos. Now they're some of the most influential people in the country yeah, exactly. or the world because they they can control social media. Mm -hmm. And so you just think, well, they're not going to be teaching kids at school to do that 
are they? And yeah, might be. like our generation wasn't. But that's a legitimate know that there job. Was a, that was a job opportunity. We didn't know. Like, I graduated school mm. in 2012. Like, I didn't know. Like, YouTube was just starting as a as an influential thing. I think it was Charlie was so cool. Like, was like the one with one million followers yeah. on YouTube, yeah. and he was the one that had the most massive yeah. amount of followers. Yeah. And it wasn't. It, it just wasn't a thing mm. back then to be a YouTuber, even though I did want to be a YouTuber back then. <laughs> I didn't know it was a job, a job yeah. thing. So, yeah, and uh, it would become such a massive thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Great. Well, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Opening your eyes. Indeed. Have you been listening to anything? I mean, of, of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I've been using my ears this week. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so this week, uh, actually, Biceps' new album came out. So it came out on the 22nd of January, so it's very new. Um, and it's just really, really great. It's a great album. Um, so their first album came out in 2017. Um, because they're DJs, I guess it works slightly differently. They toured for years and years and they produce other people's music, etc. Like, it works differently, so it makes sense. It's been quite a few years since they last released their album, but it's fantastic. Um, they did a global live stream back in September um, that I watched and they basically I think they streamed it to like 70 different countries and like all these different time zones and they managed to match it all up and everyone was watching it in their own time zone and they had these amazing visual effects and they were there doing their thing for an hour it was really really amazing and they're actually going to be doing a second one in February which they're going to be streaming from the Saatchi gallery Ooh. which will be cool so they'll have a bigger space to to play around with um, but it's just really 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 good um, if you are going to listen to the album. I would recommend Apricots, which is one of their singles. And then Saku and Reva. I'm going to say Reva. Reva. <laughs> Spelt like River, but with two E's. Um, so those are fantastic. But the whole album, from start to finish, it's one of those that you can just listen to all the way through and you're like, this is great. But you should definitely, while I'm talking about this album, check out Apricots' music video. So it was directed by Mark Jenkin, who uh, you're definitely yes. familiar with. Yes. And yes, you know, uh, and I know. Um, so he used to be, I'm assuming he's not anymore because he's very busy yeah. man these days. Um, but he used to be a lecturer Father. at Falmouth Uni, where we both Represent. Went. Represent. Um, so he's from Cornwall. He's a proper Cornishman. Um, but he used to, I think he used to teach in photography, uh, like marine and wildlife photography, I think was his kind of like his thing. Um, but he's an experimental filmmaker. So he sat in on um, the rough cuts for our third year final films, which is amazing. So we've seen, he saw some of our stuff that we hand developed together. Yes. Some of the Super 8 stuff. So, yeah. Um, but he like shot into fame in 2019 uh, when he released his first feature film, Bait, which again, if you've not seen, definitely watch it. I think it's on everything. You can, you can watch it on everything now. It won a BAFTA. So I feel like it has to be available to stream by pretty much everyone. Um, but he's a really, really interesting guy and he did the music video for this. Um, I'm going to share the link to the music video with the director's commentary because it's interesting hearing him um, talk about uh, it. I will definitely. But, yeah, check yeah, out the album. Listen to that and watch it. Yeah. 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 It's really cool. It's, it's just, he's just got such an interesting style. It's very inspiring. Like listening to him talk about it, I was like, oh man, I need to get back to. Does it make you want to? Yeah, cool. does it make you want to shoot in film again? Yeah, yeah it, it really does. I need to get some film and just start messing around with it. I think hearing someone who experiments with, like, 
eight millimeter and 16 millimeter it's so interesting because it's like oh that's why that's why i used to do yeah that. because you can just be so carefree and you get this crazy effects and you just have a really interesting time and you know obviously it's expensive but it's i think far more fulfilling yeah um the whole process of it but but yeah gone off a tangent because i saw that with my eyes but the album is definitely worth listening to and yeah i hope you enjoy it when you listen to it it's not that long but it definitely takes you through a journey it's a mood like even if you're not like big on like house music or like dance music it's proper like chill it's cool it's cool Apricot is such a mood isn't it <laughs> it's just like such it's such a mood like oh yeah i mean it's such an apricot's mood yeah, yeah. it's directed by mark jenkins you know that he's such a mood <laughs> <laughs> he's such a mood <laughs> okay what else have you listened to anything? I've not. <laughs> I've listened to us talking because <laughs> I've had to edit our podcast. That, that was about it. That's all I've been listening to. Our lovely voices. So guys and gals, in order for me to explain to you why the USA is a major focus of the media around the world and why it seems like the world constantly revolves around the USA and whatever happens with it or involving it, we know about it. I need to go back to the Second World War. As you know, during World War II, most of the world was a battleground. A lot of the world was being either bombed or invaded, except for the US. Well, for the majority, because uh, Pearl Harbor was attacked and that's what got the USA into the war anyway. So countries that were in a pickle decide to store their gold reserves in the U.S. And the U.S. in return would give them dollars as the rate of exchange of gold to dollar was fixed. The U.S. promised that when the war was over that these countries would get their gold back if they would give America back their dollars. So these countries said, yeah, cool, sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> so I'll get my gold back if I exchange it for dollars then. Okay, then I'll keep you dollars. And then in the end, I can get my gold back. But when the war ended, a lot of places were completely wrecked, so they needed to purchase goods such as cars, materials from the US, since it was the only country that actually managed to develop technologically since the beginning of the war. So all these countries that had, their do had dollars to spend on getting their gold back were spending it on buying cars and materials from the US. So the dollars that were meant to buy back the gold, they decided to use it to buy goods. So there was a lot of gold that had no money attached to it, which meant that the US thought, awesome, I'm going to start spending that gold in order to improve my own economy. So cool. So the US had a huge economic boom post-war and decided to go up to space to get itself, it, to get itself involved in the Korean War and then the Vietnam War. And so countries that still had dollars to exchange to get their gold back became suspicious that the US were using their gold to improve their economy. So they began asking to exchange the, their dollars back to gold. France, Germany, and Switzerland began doing this and the, UN, and the US went, uh-oh, they found out we're in a buckle and that we've been actually spending a lot of gold on ourselves. So <laughs> going to space is not cheap, neither is going to war. <laughs> and I was spending all that gold that wasn't mine to spend. And now they found out and they want their gold back and I don't have it. Yikes. 
1971, Nixon, afraid of being found out for the U.S. having spent gold that wasn't theirs and afraid of further inflation from countries wanting their gold back and so having more dollars circulating in the economy, Nixon said, well, the dollar can no longer be converted to gold. The gold standard, which was what the thing was called, was no longer and so countries couldn't have their gold back. The problem with this was that the value of the dollar was directly connected or pegged, that's the, the term used, to the gold. So the dollar was no longer backed up by a physical good. So what was it backed up by? Literally nothing. <laughs> so it was floating around the value of the dollar. And so you, you were having massive hyperinflation and that obviously is not good for America because it makes the economy be on the brinks of a collapse. So to further escalate things, the US had put itself through another pickle. Um, the US began relying on imported oil during the Vietnam War and during its eco economic boom of the 1950s and 60s, which provided the OPEC with increased leverage to influence oil prices. And let me explain the, what OPEC is. So the OPEC is the organization of the petroleum exporting countries that in the 70s contained members such as Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Qatar, Indonesia, Libya, United Arab Emirates, Algeria and Nigeria, Ecuador, and I never know how to say this name, Gabon and Gabon. <laughs> I don't know. Gabon. <laughs> Gabon. <laughs> this was all fine, except the U.S. decided to support Israel doing, during the Yom Kippur War, which apparently is a Jewish uh, holiday, right? The Yom, Yom Kippur? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but the thing is, this conflict, this Yom Kippur War, is also known as the Arab-Israeli War. And obviously the Arab are part of the OPEC in the OPEC were the major exporters and producers of oil. So if the US starts supporting Israel, then that's not good because then what happened was Saudi Arabia stopped trades of oil with the US. And so the US couldn't get, more, couldn't get oil because it supported the wrong people, essentially. So now the currency was being super devalued and... It was getting into a pickle with, uh, with its oil importers. So in a panic and in a fear that their currency was beginning to be worthless and that they wouldn't have any more oil, the US made a deal with Saudi Arabia to provide them with all the military resources in the world that they had and that Saudi needed to keep its royal family in power and to protect Saudi, Saudi's oil. And in return, Saudi Arabia agreed to make the dollar a relevant currency. And how did they make the dollar relevant? By Saudi Arabia agreeing to only export oil by trading in dollars. So Saudi wouldn't accept any other currency of exchange to trade oil with other than dollar, which meant that other countries, in order to import oil, had to buy dollars, which made dollar relevant in the world. And so the value of the dollar was born out of a necessity and out of an agreement with Saudi Arabia. And so the petrodollar standard of currency was born. The value of the dollar now began to be linked 
to the necessity of other countries to buy oil from Saudi Arabia. And so the US economy was saved for now. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happened next was that because other countries had to trade in dollars in order to get oil, then other countries started basing their currencies on the value of the dollar so that oil trading would be more beneficial for the economy of their own countries. So then most currencies are now based on the dollar, which is based on a deal with Saudi Arabia. So all currencies values or value are linked to the value of the dollar. So if the dollar fails, <laughs> so then perhaps all of the currencies are going to go down with it because they're directly dependent on the value of the dollar. Now, regions that hold pricing power over oil control the world's economy. The US used to control oil prices before the 70s until it gave it away, until it gave their power away to the OPEC countries. However, in 2019, the US became the largest producer of oil due to the discovery of shale oil in their own country, which helped shift some of the pricing power back to the US and Western countries. Obviously, what does this mean for the deal between them and Saudi Arabia? Because if the US starts exporting oil, then that means that the US now becomes a competitor to Saudi Arabia. So this is not a good deal for Saudi Arabia, who is still the largest exporter of oil, even though it's not the largest producer of oil. And I believe that this led the OPEC to form an alliance with Russia to form OPEC plus. So the US has never been part of OPEC and never, I don't, I don't believe it will be, but I don't know. I don't know the future. Some argue that Saddam Hussein only invaded Kuwait so that they could steal their oil production to begin trading in euros rather than dollars. So the US got involved and eventually got into conflict with Iraq so that the oil trading continued to be in dollars. The US replaced the Iraqi government and then no talk of trading in euros ever happened again. Also, the US fired all the 400,000 people in the Iraqi military which eventually led to the rise of ISIS because the military didn't like it. So it started making money because it's not really fair. <laughs> uh, and that didn't help anybody, really. Um, also, people say that Gaddafi wanted to start a pan-African currency to trade Libyan oil. And so the US backed a military coup to bring Gaddafi down. And we all know how that ended, the famous Arab Spring. So... Really, what can we conclude from all of this? So the dollar is essentially no longer based on a physical commodity, but rather on relationships between countries and really on relationship of oil trading between countries. And that other currencies' values are attached to the value of the dollar. So that if anything happens to the dollar, if the economy all of a sudden goes poof, we all suffer the consequences. And so that's why... All eyes are in America because if they fast, we feel it. Like if they do anything, <laughs> we feel it. And also this is concerning since um, I love the, the Democrats. I love Democrats. I love Biden. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that the, that the plan of inserting more money into the economy of the US, uh, I think it's two point something trillion dollars into the economy is a good plan because it's going to generate inflation. 
and the US is already in huge amounts of debt. It's got a, a I think it's a trillion dollar deficit or three trillion dollar deficit. I don't know, but it's in the trillion house and that's already really bad. So it's in a huge deficit, it's in a huge debt, and then you're gonna increase the debt by inserting more money into the country. And it's gonna increase the debt of the country, it's gonna increase the inflation of the country. And also the relationship between the US and Saudi Arabia right now, I don't know if it's in the best condition because of the fact that the US now produces a lot of oil. And so I don't know what the future will be for the dollar especially since there is less dollars circulating outside of the US now that than there was when this deal was made or when it was at its peak. It used to be 70% of the currencies being traded around the world used to be dollars and now it's down to 40%. So it's definitely, the dollar is definitely losing its influence. So the dollar losing its influence, it loses its value. Therefore, what, what's going to come out of it? We don't know, but we shall see. Well, that was incredibly interesting and all new information for me, other than like the headlines, um, because a lot of this stuff happened when we were younger. But I think it's so interesting when you lay it out like that, because I know we've talked about this before, but this kind of information isn't taught to you unless you either specifically look for it or you do it like a specialist course in it in like world politics or econ economics yeah. or whatever i think these kind of conversations i can't i don't think i've ever like i've maybe had like a, ever yeah, had two <laughs> conversations about this kind of thing and i definitely <laughs> think we need to know this because as i said earlier like i think everyone is so much more politically engaged and it's important to know where these like biases have come from like why it is this, you know, the special relationship between the UK and the US. It's obviously there's there's many different strings that form that relationship, but it's important yeah, to know yeah. the economic side of it. Um, and it's just stuff that we just don't know. It's really interesting. And and I remember when we were talking about this prior and you were discussing that you were going to be researching this, you mentioned about petrol and how we're in a world now where we are moving away from being reliant on fossil fuels. And if money is valued against that, what's that going to do when when eventually, hopefully, yeah, exactly. fingers yeah. crossed, by 2030 or 2050 or whatever the date is, the Paris Agreement 2050, that hopefully by then we won't be using the fossil fuels. But obviously, something's going to happen. But then what's going to be the value of the dollar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, something's going to have to change. The, va the value of the dollar is going to have to be pegged to something else. Mm. I, I just wonder what that something else is going to be. And if there is going to be a, a period where the dollar has no value, if there's going to be like hyperinflation, because like when, when is the transition going to happen to a different system? And how long is that transition going to be for the transition of being pegged to a different thing, different commodity? Because yeah. currently it's really not pegged onto a physical commodity, it's pegged on relationships. And we know just how fickle relationships between countries can be. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very dangerous thing to, to base your entire economy on a relationship with a particular country. I think that's just really irresponsible. Mm -hmm. And especially now, since we're moving away from the petrol and people are trying to not use petrol as much and 
try to replace it with something else. And obviously the, the government doesn't want to incentivize that because if they do, then the, the currency loses its value. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to stop that, to stop renewable energies to come about. But that, that isn't the future. The future is to change the currency and the pegging of the currency and not change the, try to to avoid the inevitable, which is to move to renewable currencies. Mm. Because just the fact that the dollar is pegged to to oil transactions, it, it has created, it has generated so many conflicts because the US has to provide military protection to, to whoever they agreed to protect. Mm. And the US has just put itself into a huge amount of conflict. A lot of people have died. More conflict has come out of it and has percolated to other countries. And so we can move on. The system just needs to change. It's just stop avoiding the change. Just change yeah. it already yeah. and then we can... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously I don't know the ins and outs of it and whether it is public knowledge or not, but, you know, Donald Trump's decision to leave the Paris Agreement and yeah, the impact that that had, obviously, which thankfully Joe Biden has now reversed. Um, but thank God, thank you, Big B. Big B. Um, but obviously, Donald Trump being a businessman first and foremost. I mean, let's be honest; he's clearly not a politician. Um, yeah, he was clearly thinking about money because you know, think about who backs him. It's the same way as like Donald Trump's never going to change a gun law because the NRA support him too much. But and it's the same kind yeah. of thing. These oil, these like yeah. powerhouse industries that back him, he's never going to change legislation or sign anything that will reduce the amount of oil for instance when you're backed up by such massive industries that will support you it it, it, it clearly for him it just does not make sense though it's for the greater good of the world but obviously we know now that he doesn't give two craps about the rest of the world or america um so so yeah but but you, you know it's it's you can already see the inner workings and i think this is why this kind of thing's so important what you're telling us that because you need to understand this 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 information needs to be easily accessible and not just like oh well there's you know if you wanted to you could read this book on it it needs to be stuff that that's it's promoted to being accessible it needs to be on social media essentially this this topic and yeah. this yeah. knowledge because it influences every single thing that the government does it's behind every single action that they do if the if the dollar loses its value then so do the, so do their businesses and i mean even look at something like brexit the deal was delayed mainly in the end due to trade deals so it's all it's all business and money yeah all, you know that's, the, the, that's, the, the that's, stuff that was that being everything. yeah and, and and the stuff that was being fed to people during the campaign about immigration and healthcare and everything like that that was used to get like tug at people's heartstrings and and provoke opinion but those aren't those weren't the things that were stopping the deal going through in the end they were they were they were nowhere to be seen it was it was just trade and business which obviously yeah. is, is massively important because money makes the world go round um yeah but that was that that were they were the things that were holding holding it back from just being able to just move on and get on with it so yeah yeah exactly and you also have the central banks governing uh how much the how much the the currency is valued at and and i think the world is moving towards a more decentralized system where people want to have power in their own hands rather than give it away and this is what i was saying also in my realizations this year 
that we're so dependent on somebody, on the government, on the economy, to be able to survive and to thrive. And people are now rebelling against that and are creating their own currencies, such as cryptocurrencies, uh, such as Bitcoin, which doesn't have a central value, a central bank. I'm sorry. It doesn't have value. It doesn't have a central bank. <laughs> um, because nobody wants something else, some entity that works in the shadows to control your money, to control how much mm -hmm. you're, you're worth, essentially. Yeah. How much your life is worth, how much your possessions are worth. So you can set your own value to things with Bitcoin, essentially. Mm. Yeah, go, go check out Bitcoin, everybody. <laughs> Get on that train because yeah. all of the clever people around the world are getting on that train. <laughs> We're being <laughs> left behind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the value of the Bitcoin, for example, on uh, the, the day of the, that the election results came out, uh, so when it was known that Biden won, the, the price of the Bitcoin went s straight up, like straight up. It went from like around 15,000 uh, uh, 15, pounds, I think, to it, and it skyrocketed to 30,000 pounds, the value of a single Bitcoin. Wow. So I believe that's because of the plans for them to inject $2 trillion into the economy. Wow. Interesting topic. Like people go do your research. Yeah. yeah. Like. We need to become more empowered financially, economically, know what makes the world go around, how these systems work, and how we can, yeah, create money for ourselves that isn't uh, controlled by somebody else. Absolutely. Well, thank you. That sounded like it was a meaty topic that you've got your head around. So I appreciate you oh, yeah. condensing it down and, and presenting it that way, because it's definitely the introduction that I need, certainly. So, mm -hmm. yeah. You're welcome. It was a, there are a lot of moving parts in this, in this that I haven't men mentioned, but this is, this is the, the main structure mm. of the, the huge skeleton that yeah. is the global economy. All right, that is all from us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Showing Up with Babs and Eve. Please tune in next week for a second round of updates on our monthly challenge. And also tune in for our next episode because Eve will be chatting about her topic. Yeah, so next week I'm going to be talking about modern day censorship, a bit about hype culture, wokeness, cancel culture. So all in relation to uh, Todd Phillips's 2019 film Joker. So if you think that sounds interesting, I think it's going to be quite a fun little chat and debate we could have about the state of the entertainment world at the moment. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm going to be talking about next week. We'll also be talking more about obviously what we've been listening to, reading and watching. So again, please feel free to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. And if you want to update us on your power hour, please be sure to send us an email. Our email is in is going to be in the show notes. And all we've been talking about as well on this episode will be there for you to reference to. So that's all from us. Thanks. See you next week, babes. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>